Welcome, everybody, to The Called Podcast, a production of First Fisherman Media. And again, I am here in Elkins Park in the convent of the Sisters of the Imitation of Christ, and I am with Sister Jocelyn. Sister, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking very forward to hearing your your testimony. And as I said before in the previous podcast, the purpose of this show is to get uh, have people learn about our religious and also to inspire vocations to the church. And the goal would be someone somewhere will listen to your story and be inspired to give their life to Christ or more fully to Christ, either in whatever their station in life, but maybe it could be a religious vocation. And what's beautiful about the technology is that it could be 200 years from now. <laughs> so Amen. and anywhere in the world Amen. or the universe if we're in, if, if we're on Mars or something. Anyway, so sister, maybe we could um start us in prayer and uh, then we'll get you into your story. Sounds good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, we praise you, we worship you, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to hear the wonderful things that you've done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for this beautiful day. Oh, Lord, we remember at this time all the poor, all the hungry, all those who are so needy. Lord, we know that you inspire people throughout all ages to be able to fulfill the needs of your people. Lord, we ask you to be open to you at every moment of our lives, and we thank you for your gift of faith, the gift of life, and the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Sister. So where does your story begin? So I, uh, my name is Sister Jocelyn. I, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. My parents came from India in the 70s. Um, my mom's a nurse. My dad is a real estate broker. And uh, there's four of us. I'm the second of four. My youngest brother is a priest. So I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, very close um, uh, by. And I... Grew up in a Catholic family. Um, my brother always likes to say the greatest thing that our parents did was just bring us to church. And so we were definitely exposed to um, our tradition. We are Cyril Malenkra Catholics, so Eastern Rite Catholics. And uh, right when my parents came, they were very um, instrumental in maybe establishing the original parishes here in Philadelphia, their parish. And um, so we were really exposed to not only the Catholic Church and its beauty, but also the Eastern Church and its beauty. Uh, my uncle was a Catholic priest, and he was actually um, serving in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia as well as our um, Cyril Mullinger Catholic Church here. And so when I was young, he used to say to me, um, Jocelyn, you're a good girl. You should be a nun. And I was like, no, I'm not that good. I don't clean my room. I don't do anything great. But I remember when he said it, my heart was very joyful. And I was just received First Holy Communion. And I just remember thinking that um, watching my uncle's life as a priest, he was, he was a priest who passed away, um, unfortunately, in his 50s. Um, but his life was so instrumental. And even today, people remember him. And so he was a priest of the Archdiocese of Trivandrum in India. And when he was here, um, he had mentioned to some of the sisters who are in my congregation today, oh, my niece is going to be a nun when I was five. (laughs) And some of the nuns told me later, yeah, yeah, your uncle always thought you're going to be a nun. But I didn't think so. Um, So it really starts with an exposure to the church and kind of an early 
suggestion of a vocation that's really started it. But um, my faith journey, um, even though I went to Catholic um, elementary school and then also a local public school here. So I went to maternity BVM um, in Northeast Philadelphia for my elementary school, which I got a great foundation in the really, you know, just uh, exposure to the Catholic church. And then my sister and I kind of opted to go to a very uh, good public school, Central High School, which is a magnet school in Philadelphia. And we had a great exposure. I mean, great. I just got a great education. But it was actually there where my faith was tested. Mm. And so I had a lot of um, non-Catholic friends that just asked me, why do you pray to the saints? Uh, Why um, do you believe what the church believes? And so I was actually... Um, inspired to be able to learn more um, about it. And so when I was in high school, I had, again, my uncle said, you should go on this retreat. And it was actually a charismatic retreat. And um, I remember just being very scientific, even then, you know, um, I said, well, you know, I, I, and I was very kind of pro-life, pro, I was pro-choice meaning like feminist and just, you know, just being aware of what the secular world was telling me. And so I was very pro-woman and um, I just didn't understand the role of um, women in the church. And, and I remember just thinking like, Lord Jesus, like if you're real, you need to show me a sign. Okay. I'll believe the whole thing. I just need to know that you're real. And so I went to this retreat and I said, like, show me a sign. And I was like 14 and um, the the priest was up there and he said, right now, 20 people are experiencing a profound experience of the Holy Spirit, like an electric shock through their body. And at that moment, I felt, um, and I'm a physician, so adrenergic response, like the palpitations, I felt something profound. And like, literally, like I put my finger in the socket. So it was a shock. And uh, then he said, will those 20 people stand up? And so I literally counted out the 19 people. And I stood up as the 20th. And after that, my life was never the same because I got the, like a very foundational God is real. And so my faith um, was strengthened during that time. And uh, actually the first thing I got, kind of got scared because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all real. But then I sought out Bible studies and, and uh, groups to pray with. And we had a prayer group and I uh, started going to daily mass and pray the rosary. And um, I, uh, I went to a Catholic school, Villanova University afterwards. And I started being more exposed to, um, you know, different traditions. And then and then again, that that desire when I saw sisters such as Sister Arpitha, you know, I knew Sister um, even when I was young, and I, when I would see sisters, I would just get this like ridiculous joy. I would see them. I had like nun radar, you know, like I really like whenever I'd see nuns, like it's the joy in their eyes. I wanted it. I wanted it for myself, but I just never thought I was good enough to be his. But then I had an experience where three priests on, on in one week on three different days said, you should be a sister. You should be a sister. You should be a sister. Last one I couldn't ignore because I knew that um, it was, was actually what the Lord was like it was like confirming in my heart what I wanted. Um, but I had already applied to medical school and MD PhD programs and PhD programs. And I wasn't sure, uh, what the Lord wanted, but, um, so in, in faith, I started my journey in medical school. Um, and then, um, and the rest is history. (laughs) So this, this, um, the experience at the retreat were you in the beginning of high school were you like ninth grade or like 10th grade, grade beginning 10th grade? of 10th grade very uh, foundational and did all of your the questions sort of go away when you had this experience or were you still sort of questioning some of the teachings of the church but how did how did that work 
I think that um, it's interesting because I was surrounded by a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, and so a lot of the Protestant theology was just, I was surrounded by, I was in the Bible club, I was in gospel choir, which I love gospel choir. Um, and, uh, but, you know, and then even in, at Villanova, uh, my first year I was very involved in ecumenical prayer groups and um, different movements. Um, but the, um, the journey um, of reading and uh, some of the books that really fed my soul were Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn Scott yeah. and Lamb Supper. And, um, Who you wrote know, Lamb Supper? I've never heard Scott that. Scott Hahn as oh, well. Another one. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's all very Eucharistic. And, but the Rome Sweet Home was very beautiful because it was a lot of these very classic Protestant conversations about you know, um, anti-Catholic sentiment. And then what is the argument? So a very more apologetic style. And so again, that scientific aspect of me just really, it, it appealed to that. So for example, um, I recently gave a talk about Eucharistic miracles and the scientific and medical basic Which basics ones of it. in particular? Um, Lanciano, oh, okay. and then the re- more recent ones in Argentina and Poland and Mexico. So they've all happened in the last 15, 20 years. And so again, as an organic chemist, I have a PhD in organic chemistry, um, to be able to really think about like from a material science perspective that like when we receive Jesus, it's his beating heart. It's actually cardiac tissue. It's tissue that's suffered. It's, you know, red blood cells that are still alive after all this time. So I think that, um, again, that scientific background um, to be able to, um, I think I learned more about the absolute truth of the Catholic Church through that time. And also um, to give a little flavor of our congregation, um, our congregation was um, founded in India by um, a priest who became a bishop. This is his Archbishop Mar Ivanios um, from Trivandrum. And he really he started as an Orthodox priest. And as he, uh, he really had a desire to serve his church and he um, was praying and reading about different religious traditions. And so he wanted to become a monk, um, an aesthetic. So really understanding that India would be converted if the church um, could really display the truth of the church in a way that Indians would understand. So kind of Hindu external forms, right? So we wear um, the, so uh, he had desire that we would wear the saffron color, which is the color of the monks. And we would wear not metal, but thread, which was a a symbol of like that um, monastic tradition in India, but also combining that with the Eastern Catholic tradition and so well, Eastern tradition. So when he became a monastic and was reading all these things, you know, the bishops, and then he became a bishop. And then the bishops at that time in the Orthodox tradition had asked him to just consider looking into the possibility of reunion with Rome. And so he started to just dabble a little bit. And the more he read, and he was a very systematic scholar. And so I'm very drawn to him. And he just understood that the church was the true church. And so even though at that time the bishops decided not to join as a one entire Indian Orthodox church, he could not do anything but hear the voice of Peter. And so he rejoined the Catholic church. And actually now what started as five people reuniting about a hundred years ago, now we have about half a million in the world. So it's a fantastic missionary story. But when I think about you know, the, the, the tradition and the, and the faith, the way that he systematically approached it, you know, to be able to, um, be aware, um, uh, that the church is true. Right. So I, I feel like that really resonates with me and my, my tradition to understand that like the basic is that no matter, and, 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 and this is the week of church unity that we're praying specifically. And it's, 
um, just to be aware that like there's so much beauty in, in different traditions, and yet Jesus established the Catholic Church. Amen. Amen. It's very interesting your journey as it relates to the science thing. Um, did you ever find, was that a conflict for you in your mind? Some people, I don't think this is the right view, but some people have this view that, well, there's faith over here and then there's reason or maybe even science. People venerate science today. And so I imagine as a young person, when you're learning about science, it's easy to exalt it so highly that it becomes a kind of scientism. Was that ever a kind of conflict for you or that you that wasn't something that you ever ever struggled with? I think I always loved science. Um, when I was in middle school and high school and college, it was just such a like profoundly beautiful thing that the Lord created and then we could understand the laws that he put into place, um, that it's very logical and it's very reasonable. And so... Um, Yes, during high school and college, there were dif different science teachers and kind of different um, overarching themes of um, the tradition that maybe people think that science comes from an a-religious tradition or an agnostic or an atheistic tradition. Um, and yet, where I studied at Villanova, <laughs> the hall was called Mendel Hall. Why? Because yeah, Gregor Mendel was this monk who studied about the peas and genetics. And and so even throughout all of time, actually St. Albert the Great um, was a great scientist also. And I think about um, scientist um, St. Giuseppe Mascotti was a physician um, and he was very scientific and he helped um, to be able to explore insulin and also CPR. And so these are these are great saints, you know, that um, really uh, understood that the Lord has created and it's it's not against, right? There, I think there's different traditions in the last 100 to 200 years, especially with evolution and even communist theories. And, you know, they, they, they went up and they, they said, oh, there's, we don't see God up here, right? The communists, you know, but but it's so much deeper than that. So for me... I think that the Catholic faith always understood that like God was cr a creator. And so I was able to see it through that lens, but actually much more now um, after going through medical school and a PhD in organic chemistry and internal medicine residency and practicing physician for 10 years as a hospitalist, you know, to be able to see that God's hand is in the science. Mm -hmm. And so I've never thought that, you know, it's, it has, um, I don't, I don't, I think that it goes together very beautifully. Mm, yeah. That's beautiful. And this other question, a lot of tension. I, I have friends that are lapsed Catholics that are women, and they struggle a lot with the what you said earlier, the role of women in the church. Maybe there's a sort of, um, they talked to someone and they got interested in feminist ideas. And um, I'm curious about that, how you, you sounded like you struggled at least a little bit with something similar. And how did you resolve that? Or how did that, how did that play out? Because I, you know, because I'm not a woman, so it's harder for me to talk to them about this in my, let's say, evangelical efforts. <laughs> I think it's very interesting the timing. Um, just uh, completing the March for Life was on Friday, and then uh, the, the prayer for the unborn. Um, I was on retreat praying uh, for all those yeah. who are in the snow. God, I just got Lord. back. <laughs> and it was it, oh, it's such a beautiful experience, a World Youth Day experience. I went to World Youth Days like six or seven times, and so I always feel that the March for Life is like that. It's an expression of um, of it's expression of you we're advocating for the unborn, but it's also ex very Catholic in culture in many ways, although it's not a Catholic event, but I've always felt a very good experience there. So um, when I think about um, 
pro-life and pro-choice arguments. It's interesting to think that the original, um, uh, the original uh, suffragans, all the, those who are for women's rights in this country, were all pro-life. You know, they never thought that contraception or abortion were going to be free to, freeing for women because they knew that, uh, forgive me, men could a- abuse, um, you know, their, uh, the, the intention for pleasure without the consequences and results of the sexual act, right? Mm. And so it's interesting to hear from like a historic perspective that now we think that a women's rights means it's my right over my body and reproductive rights. And yet you know, we've heard this, um, these quotes very, you know, very often that it's actually the first, um, the first time that a woman tells that they're pregnant to a father or to their, um, to their boyfriend or, or to their husband, like the, it's that response that actually dictates what they do, right? So that support of the the male voice in their life is actually really important. So it's kind of a interesting argument, but um, in terms of being pro pro woman, um, I think that it's interesting. I you know I grew up in an Indian Catholic tradition, so you have layers of like the Catholic identity, the Indian American identity, and then the Eastern right identity, which has like different different roles for women. And I've also been highly educated, right? So an MD PhD and like a very visible figure. I'm actually the chief patient experience officer for Temple Health. So I'm at the C-suite level position as a woman, um, a minority woman and a nun. Right. So I think it's hilarious. God is hilarious and and he does great things. Uh, But when I think about um, the role of women, it's very interesting that our congregation, um, the fourth charism is actually for women, as as sister had mentioned. It's really the idea that we are supposed to help to elevate the status of women. And actually our congregation, our founder, Archbishop Maravanius, who's servant of God, um, he had this understanding that if you elevate the status of women in society and also educate and also because they give because women give the faith they're the heart of the family right so um i think for me thinking about my role as a woman um i've always been very encouraged um there's a lot of eastern catholic theology especially in our sarah mullinker tradition which comes from the antiochian liturgical family um, about the difference of men and women. Actually, our um, burial service is different for men and women. Um, the words we use during baptism are a little bit different. So it's actually in a world of um, kind of identity confusion and gender confusion to be able to understand the distinct um, dignity of both genders and also um, the honor, like the, the, the distinct roles and yet equal. And then it's really hard for our world to understand distinct but equal in roles right um just because we're very aware of hierarchy and structure and everything so um so for me now in the church i'm very honored right honored to be a sister you know i think there's a beauty in submission that's like a powerhouse for women i think that's a very interesting role that nobody understands you know um i love to cover my head (laughs) and to pray um to wearing the habit is a positive it's such a positive it's such a it's it's a signal to the world that i am dead to myself and there's something more to this world than money and uh you know so when we we take the evangelical vows the evangelical councils poverty chastity obedience that means my by my poverty i'm poor like jesus i'm i'm chaste like jesus right i'm obedient like jesus who died on the cross right so like that is a powerful you know when people ask me like hey how much do money make as a as a doctor zero and everyone's like what where where does it go it goes to the poor 
And mm-hmm. so I can live that, you know, no more Starbucks coffee for me. Right? <laughs> so, so like, it's not me, it's Jesus in me. Right. So, but when I think about women, I actually love what John Paul II, um, great saint. And, um, he, he, when he talks about theology, of the body, the dignity of women is so amazing. All the teachings of the church that talk about, um, what is the role of women? You know, and I think, I think that for me, I really struggled with, the. Um, the priesthood meaning not that I wanted to be a priest, but just I, I like why I why couldn't wanted, you be a priest yeah, why, if you wanted? To. Yeah, like I I think it wasn't that I I I was just wondering, Lord, why why the distinction, right? And um, one of my friends, um, she just shared with me, and I was actually really great. She said, you know, was Our Lady a priest? And I thought really hard about this, and she's like, wasn't she the most holy person who's ever? you know, in the world other than God and Jesus himself, like, you know, the Jesus himself, but like our lady, our ladies. Yes. And so if Jesus didn't call his own mother to be a priest, then I don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be that women need to be priests, right? We have a distinct, beautiful vocation as a woman and it is profound, right? And it wasn't that our lady was, you know, um, said nothing, did nothing. She, she was very courageous in her yes. She she ran to help Elizabeth, right? She like risked death by saying, "Yes, I will t- I will carry the son of God. I, yes, I will do it." Right? So it's a it's not a very it's not a quiet weak. It is a very courageous uh, fierce womanhood that Our Lady had, which is mm. beautiful, right? Mm. And we should be like that. So, so I'm I'm very content in the in the vocation because Our Lady is great, and um, I praise God that like we have a church a church that recognizes the beauty and dignity of women, and I pray that, um, and especially in, as our vocation is um, Sisters, the Imitation of Christ, that like we pray that we can be able to uplift women. So that's a specific part of your charism Correct. is to to minister to women or to just to, to raise them up within society and the church. Yes. What would you want them to know? So what would you want um, if a woman's listening to this and maybe she's not a Catholic, she's not familiar with. Um, what would you want a, a woman in modern society to know about her role as a woman in the world? Oh, if I could tell young women and especially young girls um, that they are beautiful mm. and God created with them with a supreme dignity and a holiness uh, that is equal and yet distinct and that the Lord, that a part of their role and salvation is tied into the beauty of being a woman. For example, that they are in a unique perspective a position to be able to intercede with the heart of a mother Mm. um, to be able to multitask in a good way um, to be able to be very community oriented and to be able to hold everyone's prayer in their heart and to offer it to the lord so that beauty of motherhood you know daughters are a joy to the family you know they will take care of their parents <laughs> in a very interesting way that the society tells us from data, but also from like a heart perspective, you know, for young women um, that they do not have to um, go down to the level of the secular society in terms of what the the world thinks that a woman can do, but to really elevate themselves into what their identity as a daughter of the most high God. I think that they can do so much more if they were rooted in the love of God the Father as mm. a daughter. Amen. It's a beautiful answer. 
did you were you ever called obviously it sounds like during at least during your time at central there were some calls either let's say some protestant friends or maybe some secular friends were there calls for you in your heart to maybe other maybe i want to be a mother i want to be uh i want to not be a religious it sounded like from my interview with sister she was pretty much on board from the beginning <laughs> but <laughs> sister arpita but uh, is it the same for you or was there more moments where you said you know what he's kind of good looking and you know maybe we could have a family and i again that inertial experience when i was nine definitely like opened my heart when i was 16 again i just saw the sisters and i just had this like it was like a secret desire but i didn't want to let anyone know that i was like discerning um but there was it was and i was very much into sharing the gospel and and when i was in villanova it was like i was zeal it was i was you know every day getting up early and praying and interceding for the campus it was like a very much a heart for the campus so i the campus ministry experience was very great for me so i was very zealous and i also knew that being a sister is a very great way to tell the whole world about jesus um but that being said I, again like i mentioned the doubts and like the ideas about you know can i actually make it um and i think there was a lot of questions around how education would work and my congregations and so great to be able to accept me as a physician um and i understood that that was a part of my role so um as for um the married life, you know, my parents used to check in with me after my sister got married. I'm only a year apart and she's also a physician. So they'd be like, okay, so, um, so what are you going to do next? And I'm like, um, like I said, I'm discerning. And they're like, okay, well, where are you? And so the joke would be every year they do this check-in and they come up to main campus of Penn State and it's like, okay, so where are you? So the joke is the most of the time I was 80%. I want to be a nun. There was at one point I got fit to 50, 50, <laughs> But the most of my heart was I really wanted to be a sister. And it was, uh, you know, I, sometimes I would pray, Lord, if you, like, Lord, I, the prayer I, my heart was, Lord, um, I want to marry someone, if you want me to get married, someone who loves you, Jesus, more than I love you, Jesus, and more and loves you, Jesus, more than he would love me. Mm. And so um, I, I found some very wonderful people. I definitely talked to guys. I'm definitely a normal, like, normal person you know very much um attracted and interested in talk i'm a very flirtatious person too right so like i like to talk to people right i'm like social and so you know i definitely talked to a lot of people and i think that was a really good experience for me because it gave me more freedom to have at least have that experience in dating and then be able to say yes to jesus completely so the answer is yes i was you know looking a little bit but the the more i I closed my eyes in my very highest and, and best self. You know, the vision of my heart was to be married to Jesus and mm. have lots of spiritual children. So the guy you were dating, you're looking at him and looking at the cross and saying, yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 I'm curious about your experience as a physician. It sounds like, uh, are you dealing with patients now or were you, at, you, obviously at some point it sounds like you were. And now you're more in an administrative role? Or I'm is that, still doing, is that? Um, in fact, I'm working tonight, okay. <laughs> 7 to 7. Um, so I work as a hospitalist. And so we have what does that mean? Um, so I work um, for a patient who's admitted, let's say you're admitted with pneumonia or COVID or, um, you know, a heart failure exacerbation, then the one from the emergency room to be able to start and to, to place the orders and to take the history and physical and to be able to start that uh, process coming into the hospital. And then every day I will round on the patient, write my notes and take my orders. And then at the time, three, four, five days afterwards, then 
in the time of discharge, I'll be able to do all the orders for discharge. Um, and so I'm directly taking care of the patients in the hospital and I have inpatient only responsibilities, which has been wonderful because I also do retreats and also do a lot of speaking ministry. And so it's been a really great schedule. I've been um, working for the last 10 years um, as a physician in the inpatient setting at Temple University Hospital, which has been great, in the last three years as the chief patient experience officer. So that's um, a portion of my time, but not the entire time. Mm. And what has been, how is it to care for people when they're in their most vulnerable place, when they're really sick? I mean, if you're in the hospital, you're not in a good spot physically. What's that been like? What's been your experience with that? I think it's um, fantastic to be in the medical ministry as a sister because you really understand, um, you know, like, for example, there's a lot of sisters that are teachers and our congregation has a lot of teachers, but also we have a really good significant amount of people in the medical field. Um, And that, like you just mentioned, you know, they're vulnerable, right? They're actually very open to talk about um, their values, their hopes, their dreams, a mm-hmm. very existential kind of conversation. Actually, I took a one unit of clinical pastoral education, so I became a hospital chaplain, and also um, now patient experience is actually coordinating all the spiritual care for the entire health system at Temple. And so when they call, hey, I need a priest, right, I'm able to coordinate that um, and also directly be able to provide spiritual care as well as direct uh, medical care. And so it's actually really beautiful because what starts out as, you know, how's your cough becomes, okay, I understand you want to, you know, survive your lung cancer long enough to see your child's, Mm. you know, wedding, right? And like, what are your values? What are your goals? Who are you? Mm. What's been important to you? You know, tell me more about your struggles and like, um, and then for those who are, um, who are needing spiritual care to be able to experience that. And I, I, in the, in this role, you know, although I'm a nun full habit, I'm also very cognizant of, you know, the lines between sharing our faith, right, and the opportunities to do that, especially at the end of uh, life, um, and also to be respectful of religious traditions, right? Yeah, so that's got to be interesting. It's a, it's a, um, to because we, we, we live in the world and not of the world, be wise as a serpent, <laughs> innocent as a dove. So all those lines of like, Lord, show me every day what I should say, what I should do. Mm. So I think it's really beautiful because people are very, um, very, uh, it's a beautiful time. I've had three patients that were two or three pressers intubated. Um, I didn't think they would survive the night. There was a request for last rites and I would pray all night long because I wasn't sure when I can get a priest. So we would call a couple of priests and just especially during COVID and during the winter. And sometimes it's hard to find somebody. And, and so that the, the, those who pray, especially when we pray the Hail Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Those who have prayed though that prayer with that intention for so long, let me tell you, I have seen miracles, like eight hours and nine hours, and then the priest comes, and as soon as the priest comes, anointed the patient passes away in peace. Mm. And so from my faith perspective, it's been really beautiful to see the beauty of the, the priesthood, because I said my brother's a priest, and to be able to understand the gift of the Eucharist and that the sacraments all come through the hands of the priest, and yet me as, as a sister, I'm able to be like an angel of, I won't say death, but <laughs> angel of mercy to accompany people on the way to death has been fantastic, but also on the way to life and healing. And I've had some beautiful experiences where the Lord has actually given me that clear vocation that he has put healing in my hands to be able to pray my patients and to pray for their healing, but not all healing is physical. I think mm. the more beautiful stories that I've seen is that when there are broken families and families come together at the time of death, um, mm. really beautiful. That's really beautiful. And 
Just a couple other last questions. The the first, I, I repeat a lot of the similar questions. And one is, what would you say to somebody who is maybe listening to this somewhere in the world and is confused about their vocation? They might feel a vocational call to be a priest or a nun or a, a monastic of some sort or a consecrated single or what have you. And they're confused. Do you have any words of advice from your own experience or anything that you would say to them? Um, I would say make sure your foundation is strong. Um, and so I love sisters and priests and I always tell people they should be their sister and priest. Um, but I understand it's not the vocation for everybody, right? So number one, it's got to be for your soul, right? A vocation is a gift, but a salvation is the most important thing, right? I need to get my soul to heaven, i.e. Jesus. allow Allowing Jesus <laughs> to get my soul to heaven, to cooperate with the grace, right? So to have that solid prayer life. For those who are discerning, I really encourage um, frequent holy hours, a course daily mass, the rosary, um, at least monthly confession. Um, so some of the foundations. And then I'll say, once you get that, be generous. Be generous with your time, right? Sisters' lives and uh, and religious lives are, and priest lives are for others, right? So to be able to be not, you know, we're, we live in a world that's very much selfish and me only. To be able to be, you know, someone asks you to do something, do it, right? Um, to get a spiritual director, I think spiritual direction has been really profound for me in my uh, faith journey. I prayed and begged for a spiritual director, and um, the day that I was going to see my spiritual director for the first time, I opened up the Diary of Faustina, and it was like right there. If only I had a spiritual director, oh, the things I would not have done. I'm like, oh, well then, <laughs> so let me be, be directed. And I think it's helpful because you're um, able to have your heart open to the director, your confessor, and they can be able to direct you. And also to have, surround yourself with people who are helpful, um, spiritual coaches, elders, um, priests, sisters, bishops, like anyone who um, can be supportive and to be aware of your lifestyle. I think that's helpful too, you know, like the Lord can, can do a dramatic, you know, 180 change in someone's life, you know, but we have to cooperate in that grace and every day is like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I will be aware of, um, habitual sins, you know, but also know that the Lord can deliver anyone from anything. So I think that like not to focus too much on your weaknesses, but just to focus on Jesus who, if he calls you, he will qualify you and he will lead you to what he wants for you, despite of all of our weaknesses. Mm. I think, yeah, my, one of the priests in my RCIA class, Father uh, Beatrice, who's I think now in Alni, he was uh, a priest at the archdiocese, says he doesn't, the Lord doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I Amen. like that. I like Amen. that. And have, was there ever, two last questions, one, was there ever a time during, since you've been a, a nun that you had kind of a dark night of the soul or where you sort of questioned your vocation or has it been like, like we heard earlier where it's just all 100% on fire, a 10 from the beginning? It's interesting because I had waited, um, not waited, but, you know, because the Lord didn't allow me to, to start my uh, formation formally for maybe 15 or 20 years. I actually really had to wait a long time. Um, it gave me a very strong foundation. I think that when I was first discerning, there was a lot of questions around language and culture. And, you know, although I love the Eastern tradition, I was wondering if I could manage. I think that was one of the fears. So I was open to the Carmelite sisters. I was open to the missionaries of charity. Um, actually became a lay missionary charity for a year. It was just a really beautiful exposure into the different religious traditions. So I did a lot of studying, um, like my father, Archbishop Marvin, was my own, my beloved founder. And so I think that that was helpful but when things are hard 
I think that it's also can become like a, you know, oh, hey, did I, did I choose the right one? Okay, well, Lord, I believe that you called me to this congregation. I believe that you called me to be a sister. Um, through the most challenging times, I think COVID was very hard for me. Um, I lost an uncle and an aunt on the same day. Um, I've seen a lot of things, um, but also felt like Joan of Arc, you know, like I'm going in to the, to the battle, saving souls and COVID. And so I think it was very hard because we saw a lot and we've been through a lot. And so I think the last couple of years has been a good experience where even though I, yes, I have been through some dark nights of my spirit and soul, I would say, um, but what got me out of it was definitely like focusing on the cross and saying, Jesus, I know that you can use even this, even this for your greater, greater glory. Mm. Even though I can't see, it's all dark. I don't know what's going on. I don't feel the consolations. When you think about the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul, it's those those consolations we get. You know, but we but Saint Teresa of Avila, she says that you shouldn't run after the consolations and the sweetness all the time. It's not all sugar, right? Mm. So. You know, even if I don't feel a thing, I claim you, Jesus, as my own, right? Because mm. the cross wasn't easy to look at, right? And to participate in the cross. In fact, the stations of the cross is something that we should be doing more often. And it's hard for me because they're walking through Christ. And I cry almost every time I do the stations because it's like, Lord, you're here you are alone on the cross. But, you know, it's that time of purification that is the most spiritually fruitful. And this is what Mother Teresa experienced dark night for 40 years that's why her her in her lifetime she saw thousands in her congregation her lifetime she did so much right her soul she felt terrible but guess what it was for the world her suffering so i think yes i've experienced it um but i think i became a sharper tool in my lord's like you know toolkit because of it (laughs) amen that's a great answer and last question would be if someone Again, not necessarily Christian, could be Christian, could be Catholic, but it's just suffering is going through their dark night and they don't know, maybe they, they never had faith, maybe they have faith, they're losing their faith, they're, they're just confused and lost in their life in general, not necessarily vocationally, but just suffering as a human. Um, would you have any words of encouragement or advice for them? Like what, what would you say to someone like that? Because you deal with people suffering all the time. I have a very interesting practical conversation for the answer for this. Um, it is interesting that when Elijah had done such great things and then he, um, he was hungry and tired and he was in despair and in depression. He said, I just am ready to die. Basically that an angel came and gave him a jug of water and some bread. And I started reflecting upon today's, um, you know, readings about David. You know, I think that the, like when you're in an extreme situation of emotional distress, to do the basics, and not just prayer basics, but I'm talking about get up in the morning, take a bath, eat, and sleep. It is interesting how closely that our bodies and our souls are tied together to have some regularity in life. And actually one of the things about religious life is that we keep a regular schedule. And when I was going through a hard time in graduate school, one of the sisters, a Carmelite sister had actually mentioned that to me that 
actually is a very healing and very healthy thing is to have a regular schedule. Mm. So for even for those who are struggling with a secular depression, I had one time heard that someone said, you know, get up and eat something right now. And because some, when you're depressed, you don't want to eat. You don't want to get up. You don't want to do anything. So when people are struggling from like even a spiritual ailment, sometimes the regularity of a schedule, right? And discipline of doing it for the sake of discipline. It's like going to the gym. You don't want to do it, but you know it's good, right? It's like prayer. Sometimes you don't want to, but after you pray, you feel like it's good. Sometimes the will, and this is the part of the, the soul, that there's like the part of the soul is the will. Sometimes the emotions follow later. Sometimes the constellations follow later. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to do it. So for example, this is our time of three-day fasting, and today is our holy day of fasting. And so the decision has to be, okay, I'm going to fast. Why? Because the Lord, you know, our church is doing it. We're praying for others, right? Praying for particular intentions. But but th- it's to strengthen the will, the part of fasting. So I would say, very interesting answer, um, would be, of course, prayer and, of course, you know, to reach out to friends and family to, to be able to support you in that time, but to be able to understand that we are weak human bodies and the body should be uh, healed as well as the soul. Mm. Amen. Thank you so much for your time, sister. It was really wonderful. And thank you for inviting me, both of you, to your convent today. And I look forward to coming back for the third sister. Um, but anyway, um, maybe you could end us in, in prayer, unless you have something else that you'd want to say or share about your story. I just want to thank you for all you do. And um, the podcast ministry, as you mentioned, is something that will stay in the airwaves to bless all. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So if you're listening for the, for, to this uh, 300 years from 2024... There you have it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, we praise you, we worship you, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the mystery, which is the vocation. Thank you, Lord, that you called us before we were born to be able to give glory to you, Lord. Lord, we are nothing in your eyes, but you called us to be great because you loved us, Lord, and you love us. Lord, we ask you that. You would continue to bless all those who are discerning, for all those who are struggling with their faith, for all those who are looking for the truth, Lord, that you would be able to open up their hearts. Oh, Lord, you are the one who puts that desire in our souls, Lord. We're seeking you, so we ask you, Lord, for those who are seeking, that they would be able to find you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you.